So welcome back to Blended. I'm joined by another amazing panel of guests. And today we're talking about OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Now, this is a really interesting topic because it's a name I think a lot of people recognize, but I'm not sure it's something that as many people really understand. And that is why we do this show. So welcome India and Miguel, uh, who are going to share their insights and experiences with us today. Thank you so much for joining us, both of you. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. All right. So let's get started with some introductions. Can you each tell me who you are, what you do, and how you identify? So I'll start with you, Miguel. Um, I'm Miguel Mayorga. I am currently studying two degrees, finance and accounting. And I work in an accounting firm, and I love to give talks. (laughs) I love that. And uh, how do you identify? You're living in Mexico, right? Yeah, I identify myself as a person who likes human development. Mm -hmm. And I always seek to be better than yesterday, (laughs) to transmit something good to the next generations. I love that. We need more of that in this world. And India, over to you. Yes, I am a um, psychotherapist, and I identify as uh, as female. I'm 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 her, she, and I am a mixed race, uh, mixed Asian, mixed British, uh, half Asian, half British, um, and I have been living uh, most of my life in either New York in the United States and London in the UK. Amazing, amazing. I'm a, I'm just outside of Toronto, but I also have British blood. Um, my parents oh. are British and the rest of my extended family are British as well. So I have traveled there many, many times and uh, love it. I was actually just there in August. So Anyways, let's get started with this conversation. So as I just mentioned, OCD isn't necessarily fully understood. So India, you know, you're an expert. Can you kick us off with some basic explanations? You know, what is OCD? What does it mean? I mean, I know there are a lot of different forms, so it's not easy, but also maybe give us an indication of how OCD might impact a person's life. Okay. So OCD stands for obsessive compulsive disorder. And I think that's quite important to elaborate because it does consist of two important elements. There is an obsession followed by a compulsion. So what that means with someone that has OCD is that they will get an obsessive thought, which will be very alarming and incredibly scary. And they will try and alleviate that anxiety to try to reduce the anxiety by carrying out a compulsion. And I just want to say there that the compulsion can be mental, so it can be internal, um, such as trying to neutralize the thought or trying to get rid of it in some way internally, or it can be an external compulsion, which is the one that we tend to see more on media and in movies because it's more camera friendly. I hate to use that word, but um, it's more visual. So that would be something you hear of the more traditional forms that you tend to hear of um, in the media are are cleaning and ordering and and arranging. But that really in no way exemplifies the the, the full spectrum of, of different OCD subtypes. And then how it might impact a person. Well, it is listed as the 10th most, uh, 10th leading disorder, um, 10th most disabling disorder, according to the World Health Organization. So it's incredibly disabling for a person. And there are lots of work hours lost. Um, and eventually, of course, some have to give up their jobs. So it would impact on a person, it would impact on their relationships. Um, it's very, very lifestyle invasive. And a person might really struggle in in their relationship and their partner would struggle to cope. Um, And they might struggle in their work. They would struggle to get into work. They'd struggle to do things in work. They might struggle um, with timing and with pressure and with deadlines. Um, And they would also um, struggle in their social life. And there does tend to be an order um, when people, um, I suppose I call it kind of an OCD downslide in terms of their quality of life so they would tend to give up their social life first and then they might uh their 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 relationship might be impacted and finally when it gets um very disabling they might eventually have to give up their job and at that point we would we would kind of put them in the severe category because their life is is significantly impacted and sometimes some of those poor people who are dealing with 
very severe OCD symptoms might end up in their bedroom or sometimes even in their bed and not be able to move. Right. It's so disabling. I was watching, and you and I spoke about this before we started the recording. I watched the Oprah and Harry series. I only watched the first episode and they had highlighted somebody with OCD and it, you know, she was talking about how it sometimes takes her two hours to get out of the house because um, her obsession was around cleaning her hands. And if she touched something, she had to clean them again. And so cleaning them multiple times before she could leave the door or like get out the door. Um, and so I, I could totally see how that could impact not only social life, but also work. I mean, the fact that with the pandemic, we've been able to switch to remote work might help, you know, a little bit, I would assume. Um, but I, I can totally see the impact that you're talking about. And I and I think the, the you know that kind of visual that you just presented. I I want to emphasise that the OCD compulsions are elaborate. You know that the the, the OCD brain uh, is is highly analytical, and so to to get that person out of the house, though that won't be a simply a case of of cleaning hands. Oh no, right. there'll be a very elaborate procedure around maybe taking gloves and putting them on uh, or or if not using gloves there would be sanitizing plus not able to touch the door handle not able to brush against the side of the corridor um actually trying to get clothes on clothes that are just reserved for going outside so they're already classed as dirty or contaminated trying to get those on trying to get keys and trying to get their handbag their purse um, on them all of that will be incredibly complicated and then having to go through the door without touching the sides I mean this doesn't happen in every case but if that's I just want to give you a visual example of how elaborate how complicated just that simple procedure might be and thank you for that. I'm so like, obviously this is audio. So it's very important for us to sort of paint that picture so that people can lean in to understand. Um, so I appreciate that because that was so helpful. And so now to bring that to life, um, if the panel feels comfortable, I'd love for you now to share your stories and personal experiences. You know, when we've done this on the other shows, it works so well because there's nothing better in helping others to understand and empathize than honesty and sharing our authentic stories. So Miguel, when did you begin to experience OCD and what type of OCD do you have? I remember that that since I was a child, I have obsessed, obsessive behaviors, ordering everything perfectly, no matter how long it takes me to achieve it. I need everything to be in order. My, my OCD is mainly in order and okay. cleanliness. Like take a shower in the morning, in the night, when I'm in the gym, wash my hands all the time, um, order everything in my, in my desk and something like that things. Yeah. Absolutely. And do you, is it linked to trauma for you? Like how did it, how did it, how did it start? Was there one catalyst or has it been like that for you for your whole life? I don't know if I could confirm that it is related to trauma mm -hmm. because since I was very young, I was like that and I have not managed to connect any trauma with my OCD. So I'm, I don't know, but I'm not sure if, if it's related to trauma. Got it. And how does it impact your life and maybe those around you? It has impacted my life in so many ways, in negative ways and in very positive ways. Two huh. years ago, I, I ended up in the emergency room in the hospital due to the anxiety caused by my OCD. I didn't know how to handle it and that ended up affecting me with heart problems. My heart was beating all the time. Doctors conclude a high level of anxiety and stress provoked as obsessive thoughts leading to compulsive behaviors. In short, OCD. <laughs> right, right. 
Amazing. I, I mean, it, it's just, and I, and I say that because, you know, it just goes to show, you know, how we think and what, how the stress responses that the body has and how you kind of correlate everything. So India, tell us about your story. Where did it start for you? What is it linked to? How does it affect those around you? That's uh, really interesting listening to Miguel, actually. But um, yes, switching into, you know, uh, person away from therapist mode, I um, I remember my first incident of OCD. I think there were many before um, this point, but around 11 years old, and 11 seems to be the seminal number with OCD. So a lot of my clients discuss their first really serious OCD episode around 11. So I'm not sure if that's the if it's something to do with puberty or the way the brain is developing at that point, we, we don't actually know. But, but for ele- at 11 years old, I uh, an aunt died, um, some a relative died. And I can remember the night before seeing various shadows on my wall. And I connected the two. I, I did an association. So I thought, well, if I see these shadows, someone else, before I go to sleep, someone else will die. And I put that together. So I had to do certain rituals before I went to bed. I had to cough in a certain way. I had to look under the bed. I had to sleep in a certain way. And I had to, I did things uh, according to kind of a number system. So that was my earliest experience. And then I had um, fears, uh, uh, a family member had insisted that I watch The Exorcist when I was really young. And um, that then impacted on on the type of OCD I got. And one of my obsessions was that I would, or someone else would become possessed and harm people. And that's what we, we term responsibility or harm OCD. Now, it's very interesting listening to Miguel, because when you ask about the cause, we still don't know. So we're fairly certain as professionals that there will eventually be a defined what we call biopsychosocial model. So that means that there will be an element of biology, like neuroscience, to, to the to the origin of OCD, to the to the cause, and then there will be a psycho- psychological part, um, which will be the way that your mind works, your beliefs, um, uh, some, of, some of the ways that you process thoughts. And then there'll be a social model, which will be environmental. So that will be external. So biopsychosocial, it will be a mixture. But we're fairly certain that there is a big biological component to the cause. And uh, I'm sure, I don't know, Miguel, if you've heard of this or you, Sarah, is that there's a phenomenon called PANDAS, which stands for Pediatric Autoimmune Neurobiological um, disorder associated with strep. Hmm. Um, and that means that a strep A infection in a young child can trigger OCD and tick symptoms, and that can be treated with an- antibiotics. But it's wow. very interesting. And this is not evidence-based. This is purely anecdotal based on my professional experience. But many, many, many of my clients have had a strep infection. Um, and I always ask them when I assess them, just as a matter of interest. And I would say probably about 80% of my clients say yes. Wow. Yeah. So it's not necessarily linked to trauma, but it's linked to all sorts of different things, like you said, like a strep, like strep throat. Well, it's not not in all cases. This is a and an actually, yes. if your if your child presents with tick or OCD sudden onset symptoms, you know, a, a primary care physician over there, not in the UK, will test them for pandas. But we also know, and we're we it's highly likely that there will be a genetic component as well. A really a genetic component, huh? Yes. So, does anybody in your family or Miguel? Does anybody in your family have OCD? Miguel, I'll ask you first, and then I'll go back to India. I, I guess, yeah, because one of, my, one of my brothers have similar behaviors. So I think I'm not the only in my family. Huh, interesting. And India? Not sure. I was adopted at two weeks old, but um, okay. definitely my, my client base, many, many, many of them have um, family members, even in extended family with OCD. Interesting. And so how does your OCD affect those around you? How, how has it sort of affected your life um, and the people in your life? India. 
Well, I mean, not so much now, but definitely in my first marriage, it it, it was rough. I was untreated initially and um, it would, at the time in my early 20s, it was taking me four or five hours to get into bed at night. Um, Of course, all my rituals were so disabling and I wasn't working um, for that reason. And I, I struggled significantly and I do think it impacted on my first marriage quite a lot. And it's very um, confusing and and uh, disempowering for for a partner because it, it, certainly at the time that I was suffering badly, there wasn't the increased awareness there is now. So they they don't they don't really understand. And to some extent, throughout history, it's been slightly how can I? It's been a bit of a caricature. So it's not been taken very seriously. So my slightly bizarre behavior and OCD does result in fairly bizarre behaviors most of the time. So, so that was seen as confusing, slightly comical even, and very, very frustrating. And I'm, I'm convinced that it would have had a negative impact on, on my marriage at the time. Right. Absolutely. And so let's talk about inaccurate assumptions, because I think, you know, when it comes to different things um, that we talk about on this show, there are so many assumptions or maybe judgments around a lot of these topics that people have just made, right? And so I like to unwind that. I'd like to talk about it, hit it straight on the head so that we can eliminate those assumptions and start really creating more dialogue uh, so that people can understand, right? So there's the typical portrayal in the media of someone who has turned the light on and off maybe 50, 50 times before they leave the room. Or, you know, from Big Bang Theory, he knocked, you know, three times and had to say the person's name. And that is totally true for some people. But as we've already discussed, that's not the only form of OCD that alone can be a damaging portrayal. So Miguel, what have your experiences been in terms of other people's understanding of you and your your OCD, like, have you been stereotyped at all? Mm, usually, usually it has been positive. I, I know people who are quite the opposite. People who say that they are only exact, ex- overreacting or that they simply behave in certain ways to have more personality and that is false. And in the assumptions, in my experience, people normally know the typical behaviors such, such as cleaning or order. But in really in reality, OCD manifests itself in many different ways, from repeating everything we say twice or out of need to check that we say it correctly, to, to having long-lasting obsessive thoughts that waste a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we can't we can't really change the media overnight and I'll come back to you India about those two questions in a second, but we can all do, you know, we can open this up and make sure a wider a range of people are represented more accurately. So what, Miguel, what would you say to those who have assumptions or what do we need to do to fight those stereotypes? Talking more about OCD. We need to learn more about OCD because it's not very common the people who knows what is the behaviors in OCD. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is the principal thing. Yeah, and I think, you know, in workplaces, right, I think we need to be more aware of what people are going through or what they need to do to be able to function and be able to have, you know, a what they perceive as a normal life within their workplace. I mean, there's a lot of assumptions around what the workplace needs to look like and it doesn't work for everybody. And so that's why I really like talking about these things so that we can be aware. I mean, if you have to take a few extra minutes to put things in order on your desk, you know, it's not a matter of standing there and judging you in that moment. It's a matter of empathy and understanding and allowing you that moment to put everything in order and then carry on, right? So India, what do you think about those two questions? How, you know, what kind of stereotypes are we seeing in OCD and how do we fight this? 
Well, it, it's a great question, of course. Um, I, I had a lockdown goal and my lockdown goal was to get on social media. Um, and, and kind of what I, what I was trying to do was try to, you know, fight this kind of closing down with that, like opening up. And, and for me, it, it was like pulling my teeth out because I really wasn't great at it. And so I got on Instagram and in over a year, I've built up a fairly good following. But um, I for the first time, I've been interacting regularly with the public and finding out what's going on. And that kind of coincided with this movement around this trivializing OCD. And there's a, a, a huge community, particularly on Instagram. I do a little bit of TikTok, I do Facebook, but Instagram is where I've, I've done the, the most work. And there is um, a huge community of people with OCD. And it's it's very, very empowering. They are we post every day that we we share a certain dialogue we get initiatives together but one of the initiatives has been to stop using ocd as an adjective so um instead of saying and and it's happened a few times there's a quite a famous family reality tv family and they were advertising i think it was a cleaning product or fabric conditioner and they were saying oh i'm so ocd and that's incredibly mm. upsetting people that suffer with OCD and you see that a lot and you see like obsessive compulsive you know um instead of disorder you know I don't know obsessive compulsive day or or obsessive Christmas disorder and it's it's just you're not really understanding and I post a little bit about this the Hollywood version so when you watch movies like As Good As It Gets with Jack Nicholson he does an incredible representation of OCD but it really doesn't cover the dark side of OCD and it's incredibly dark and there's this comical I mean the aviator to some extent did and and I was glad that they tackled that and um I was kind of involved a little bit very very early on before I started practicing in 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 a little bit of the, the research for that but they you know that dark side of OCD so the cleaning and and that Miguel has, has mentioned most of it of uh, the awareness is around the cleaning and arranging and ordering right okay that that happens and that certainly was the majority of my client base probably media driven when I first started but nowadays 70 percent if not more of my client base is around harm OCD where my clients worry about abusing children hmm. killing killing people uh becoming a serial killer um, uh, murdering their partner in their sleep, you know, and, and uh, committing suicide. And so these are very dark themes and categories. And so trivializing OCD, not understanding that these people are suffering from obsessions which seem like life or death to them. Uh, and I'm sure an awful lot, and I, I'm going to put my sort of head on the block here, but I, I really think that a lot of, of, of self-harming and perhaps even suicides are undiagnosed OCD because if you get a terrible thought in your teenage years, which I did at 16, could I harm a child? And you have no awareness of OCD. You know, where, where would you take that? What would, what would be the ultimate outcome? So I really want to stress here that OCD is incredibly serious. It's often very dark. And, and it's often um, so abhorrent and so disgusting for the person experiencing, revol revolting for the person experiencing the thoughts that it results in these really, really bizarre extreme behaviors. And lonely. Oh, how can you tell anyone about that? Yeah, like it just seems incredibly lonely and you've just heightened uh, I, I cry on every episode <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna cry um it just reinforces how important this episode and this conversation really is and I know there's a lot of people like you who are doing incredible work in this space to really amplify the voices and amplify what OCD really is and I'm just playing a very 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 small part in that but at the same time it's things like this that are going to help make that impact and this is where the magic happens, is in these conversations and getting deep, getting authentic, hearing what you're hearing and understanding about OCD. And 
you know, it gets me every time. Um, and so, you know, feeding into that, when I was doing my, sh- my research for the show, I found some really interesting stats. So the International OCD Foundation says that about one in 100 adults in America have OCD and at least one in 200 kids and teens. And so that's about the same number of kids who have diabetes. So now to me, that number is huge compared to the awareness that I just spoke about around it. And that figuring kids comparative to diabetes, think about the campaigns we have for diabetes, right? It's very normalized. We talk openly about healthy eating, exercise, treatments, getting shots. There are ads on TV, whereas OCD is just still very much in the dark like we've been talking about. So Miguel, why is it in the dark? Like, Why are we not talking about it more? Is it, you know, linked to the ongoing struggle to destigmatize mental health in general? What do you think? Mm, I believe that the main reason is because it's not very easy to detect when one begins to have these type of behaviors. It is usually thought that this person is simply like that. It is not considered that it may be a type of disorder, right? Mm, And yeah, many people think that mental health is something exaggerated or that we simply want attention, but, but no, mental health is just as important as physical health. In fact, they must be balanced for a better life, I guess. Yeah. Have you been, you know, have, has somebody said to you, you know, you'll get over it? Yeah, of course. The, don't be, don't make drama, <laughs> but uh, that's, that's me. I'm sorry, but that's me. <laughs> and how does, how does that make you feel? I, I don't care because I understand that people don't understand me. So Beautiful. Thank you for that. Because I think it's important that those that say those words they need to understand who they're talking to. And not everybody is going to be as strong as you are. And those words are going to affect people in different ways. And they need to understand the effect of those words. So, India, same question to you. You know, why why is this still in the dark? Why are we, you know, still having trouble talking about mental health? And have you, like, what are the things that people have said to you? And how have you felt about that? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. You know, those stats... Um, from the OC Foundation, I, you, I, I absolutely get the official line. I think it's higher. I mean, I really do. I, I come diagnosed, right? Absolutely. So you've got yeah. the, you've got those that don't come forward, and then you've got those that are undiagnosed. Um, so I think the stats are probably closer to one point five two percent. It's pretty high. Um, I think it's second after depression in terms of mental health. But I think the reason people don't come forward is is probably linked to my last answer is about some of the themes and obsessions are very dark and how does one uh, bring up you know we're having this conversation now which is thanks to you Sarah which is really helpful but how does one have that conversation with their partner their boss their friends their colleagues how do they say well I worried I'd kill my child how do they say in, with relationship OCD, I, I've, I've got the obsession that I don't actually love you? Yeah. How do they say to their child, well, mum worries that she would, um, you know, that she would would harm someone on the street or deliberately give them a disease? You know, it's it's very difficult to broach. And I've had conversations as a therapist where they've called me for an assessment and I, they haven't been able to speak. You know, they actually have been unable to articulate their symptoms. When I say, okay, do you mind? Obviously, I take it very gently with them. Do you mind telling me a little bit about your symptoms? And they are unable to. And I've had some assessments where I've had to say to them, look, can I run through some things with you? And if they're close to, to, to your symptoms, you could just say yes or no or, or, or not huh. if it's a person. And, you know, imagine a mom worried about killing her newborn baby. For her to articulate and say it feels as if that validates it and makes it real. So that's some of the reason. The other reason, I hate to say this, is a lot, a lot of the <clears throat> subtypes are media driven. 
Mm-hmm. So I see, um, you know, pedophilia is one of the OCD worries, and we call it POCD, pedophilia OCD. It's an obsession. And they are in absolutely no danger of harming anyone. But in the media, those kinds of, those perpetrators are, 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 are you know, making headline news as as kind of the worst people in society. So then people with OCD think, well, that's the worst thing I could be. And that becomes their obsession. And so the media aren't promoting OCD in the way that they should, even though they're responsible for a lot of the categories and what we call subtypes. And so you'll see that the movies, like As Good As It Gets with Jack Nicholson, are fairly trivialized. You know, they're hilarious to watch. And when you see Monk, it, uh, it does highlight OCD. But again, it's 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 portrayed as fairly comical. And then you'll see books written about people with OCD. So that needs to change. And then I think finally, what would really be a catalyst for change would be someone coming out and talking about it in the public eye. Now, there are people that do it. You know, there's David Beckham, you know, Megan Fox has discussed it, Camilla Cabello have touched on it, but they don't really go into the detail of it. And I suspect that's because some of it might, they might feel quite embarrassing. So, you know, like like years ago, way before your time, Miguel, uh, Princess Diana came out and spoke about eating disorders and it changed, and of course, all the work she did for AIDS, changed the face of public perception forever. And if we could just get someone maybe like David Beckham, who his wife talks about his OCD, could just come out and say, I have OCD. It's not funny, actually. And it really affects my life. We would be miles ahead of where we are now in terms of awareness. Absolutely. So, you know, um, India brings up a good point with resources. So, Miguel, what have you done as far as like resources? Like what have you tapped into to learn more about OCD or to talk more about OCD and sort of get a better understanding of, you know, what you go through? Resources for me or for the people? Um, either or, or both. Mm-hmm. Mm, I think resources for me, it's not like feeding my OCD because for me it's worst. I need to have my my room a little disorder, <laughs> a little trash because I need that. Because if if I don't do that in my head, uh, the stress is more the anxiety. Got anxiety. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, and the other people, I think, need empathy, not not judge quickly, to understand the other people, like with OCD. Sorry. Yeah, and have you had any treatment for it, or you've just learned to live with it? I can live with it. Yeah, in in emergency room, I take these these things serious, and my life is good. Yeah. So you've been able to, so that experience at the hospital really helped you to understand the stress responses from your body. And so you were able to, you know, sort of figure it out for yourself so that your stress levels didn't get up to that level again. Yeah. When, when happened that, mm, I I change, I change my person. I take help to expert people like India. <laughs> so that's, that's where take help. Yeah. So I think that the biggest message there is really to go and seek help, right. And have conversations and be, and find somebody that you can talk to, which, you know, India, you were talking about as well. Do you have any other resources or treatment that, you know, people can look into India that, you know, maybe we haven't talked about yet? Yes. I mean, I, you know, social media is an incredible vehicle and, you know, and the media in general is, is, a, is a great vehicle for raising awareness, but it's kind of a double-edged sword. So um, 
although we can do great things and say to people, well, you know, this is OCD and and, and this is what what you might um, you might experience, and these are the things that you should do. We we also it does leave social media open to on more unscrupulous treatment methods. And so what we're trying to do on Instagram, and, and again, this is one of our current initiatives, um, is we're trying to educate people and say these are the types of treatments you you need to be searching at. So we're now in the 21st century, we're in the age of what we call evidence-based practice. And I think the UK, to some extent, we've led on that a little bit, um, is that we have something called the National Institute of Clinical Excellence, which means that all practitioners like myself must adhere to evidence-based practice. So that for the for the layman, that is, is, is to say it in, 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 in regular terms, is that's a treatment based on scientifically grounded and scientifically researched methods. And we have to use that. And the only, at the moment where we stand, the only evidence-based intervention treatment for OCD is something called cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, with a, with a particular emphasis on the B component, which is the behavioral component. And that's known in OCD treatment as ERP, exposure response prevention. And so what happens when I see clients is they've been down a journey of seeing a hypnotherapist, someone who does psychoanalysis, someone who does psychodynamic. And, and whilst those things, those approaches may be useful for other conditions and other situations, they don't tend to be that helpful for OCD. And so we're trying to raise awareness around this and also to check the qualifications of the people involved, check their credentials, check their experience, check their accreditation. And I don't know whether for Miguel that's that's necessarily possible in Mexico. But what we do love as a result of lockdown mainly is that we can now treat people remotely using Zoom. So if you can't find the expert in your location, you can now reach out, thankfully, and, and reach out to people um, around the world. And so I just want to stress um, for everybody that, you know, that they, when they do look for resources, that they make sure that those resources are appropriate for OCD and that they are scientifically grounded and recommended. And, and, and actually, I think you follow the same kind of um, uh, evidence base in Canada and in the US. It is very clear that CBT is indicated for OCD. And I might just say quickly, um, going back to Miguel's hospital visit, is that in, in often in cases that will be supplemented with medication for OCD too. So that's the model that, that should be used for OCDs. Psychotherapeutic work, CBT, plus possibly medication. Hmm, interesting. And you gave me goosebumps because now, you know, with remote, everybody has potential access to this treatment, which, you know, prior to this, they might not have. And it's so important. And that just, that just makes me feel good, right? I'm, it's got to make you feel good. It's got to make everybody kind of feel good. But one question before we go into workplace, because I want to know how OCD, you know, um, affects the workplace. But before we do that, if I'm somebody that thinks somebody in my life has OCD, or I'm somebody who thinks that I might have OCD, what are some of the things that I'm looking for to say, hey, you might have OCD, you know, you might just want to take the first step to potential treatment. India? Very good question. So this is, this is, this is excellent, Sarah. We give a questionnaire to parents uh, when they suspect their child has OCD. And I think the questions are probably is probably about 200 to 250 questions. Wow. So, oh yeah. So OCD is a unique mental health disorder. And the reason it's unique is it's what we call heterogeneous. It, it actually, not only are there many subcategories of OCD, but they can morph and change at any point. Hmm. And it's very rare for, for a person to just have one, that they are much more likely, and Miguel has touched on a few with him, that they're much more likely to have a few. So what you need to look out for um, is, is any kind of bizarre behaviors. So the behaviors could be, are most likely to be repetitive, and they are most likely to have things that they have to do. So you will see 
um, a person carrying out either repetitive or repeated behaviors. And there's a there's an insistence to them. There's a there's a need that, that those must be fulfilled. If I give you an example, leaving the house that you mentioned earlier, Sarah, that's a that's a big trigger for a lot of people. So you may see someone checking. Um, uh, and then you may see them not only checking, but repeating and then maybe asking questions. So asking questions is another big um, it's it's a big it's a widely known symptom of OCD. So they're likely to reach out to you and say, would you ever or do you do or could you just answer me? And if you don't give them the correct answer, they will ask you again and again and again and again until they get the right answer. It, they don't need necessarily to know they just need you to say it um so you'll see it you could see it about the remote control you could see it about light switches you can see it about cleaning and with the cleaning it will be very obvious very quickly it will go, there's a tipping point so there's people that are very hygienic and then there's an obsessiveness about it and you can also see it in their eyes as well there'll be what we call the ocd stare so there'll be a kind of staring into the distance because in order to obsess the brain needs to lock the eyes in position so you'll get this kind of distractedness i mean you can get that with other mental health disorders such as depression or addiction but this will be happening fairly regularly um so there will be a change in behavior the behaviors will tend to be checking based ritualistic repetitive um, or there'll be a distractedness if they're doing something in their head. And, and, and let me give you just a quick example of how this might manifest. Some people with OCD will go through all of their sentences and every word they say and order it and arrange or check it before they speak it. So what they've got to do is when you ask them a question, they'll have to pause and they will have organized all of the words in the right order before they answer you. I mean, that's how covert. Wow and hidden it is. And a lot of them won't say certain words as well. So they will organize their speech so that it never includes those words. And what if it's and, you know, they, they'll avoid it. Wow. And that would be very, very, very difficult. Thank you for that. Because I think it's important that not only, you know, it gets diagnosed or somebody's self-aware of it, but if they're not, and they're not quite sure what it is, I think it's important that, you know, those around, because then you can get treatment, right? Then you can live with it and then you're not beholden to it, right? Because I think a lot of this is that, you know, it could really hold you back in a lot of different ways and you don't want that to happen. So thank you for explaining that. So let's talk about OCD specifically in the workplace. And depending on which form of OCD you have, it can really present some big day-to-day -day challenges. So Miguel, how does OCD impact your work life? In my work life, my, my OCD is noticeable when I arrive or I stay with my coworkers, but the people come to understand it and in general, everything continues to work just as well as, as always. <laughs> I feel that the key is, is in respect and understanding towards others without judging, judging in a hasty way. Yeah, and how how did you how did you share with people that you have OCD and like this is what you have to do before you can carry on? Well, in the work personally, I even say it when having job interviews. Oh, <laughs> I do? prefer to see I prefer oh. to see how they react from the beginning to see if it will be a good place for me. Oh my goodness, Miguel, I love you. Like throughout this conversation, I'm just so glad you are here and India, you as well. But Miguel sort of talking about how, you know, he's been, he, he it just, this is who I am and I'm going to go through life because this is, and then you're testing people. You're letting people know in the job interview that this is what it is. And you're, you're looking at their reactions to figure out whether this is a place that you want to be a part of, whether their culture will accept you or not from the beginning. 
I mean, this is something that we should be talking across the board in everybody from a mental health standpoint, right? And I think a lot of organizations need to know this. They need to know that just as much as they are going into it to see if the candidate is good for their culture, the candidate is going in and wondering if if this culture is good fit for them and how they operate in their life as well. And that is a, that is huge, huge, huge. India, um, let's go to you about you know how has OCD impacted your work life and you know how can people with OCD sort of share struggles and requirements with their their workplace. Well, I mean, currently, obviously, there's, you know, OCD is nothing but a benefit to, to my work because, I, you know, I manage my OCD, but, yeah. but I use it every day to, 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 to feel empathy and to design the work that I design for my clients. So it's, it's a benefit, but that's a unique situation, of course. Um, we've actually put together a program called OCD in the Workplace, and um, we, we are going to roll this out to some larger corporations um, to give them a kind of a primary care intervention, which is completely anonymous for people suffering from OCD in the workplace, um, and to raise awareness with human resources and the wellness programs in the, you know, the corporate wellness programs. Um, so that's, that's interesting. But one thing I just wanted to remark on, Sarah, is... Um, it was years ago that I read a study, I think it came out of Imperial College in London, um, about how many hours work hours were lost to OCD. And this was I, probably 15, 15 years ago. And I've seen nothing since. So nobody is investigating in, in, a, um, you know, in an empirical sense how many hours are being lost, how many people are suffering at work with OCD. And that work needs to be done. I mean, that is that is a... I think a priority. So that's the first thing. Um, I would say half of my clients have told, have informed their work, and there's another half that haven't. They haven't told the college, they haven't told their work. Um, they are worrying about being judged. And the way that it would impact them is I think it would make it, it I think OCD makes deadlines very difficult to deal with and pressure. Because people with OCD are already anxious. Their brains are emotionally hypersensitive. That's kind of clear now. So dealing with um, negative feedback at work, dealing with workplace bullying, dealing with um, deadlines and pressures would be much more difficult for somebody with OCD and being punctual, perhaps. I remember working with OCD in the financial city in London and it would take me twice as long to input data than it would anyone else. And so I had to just work longer hours because I had to do it. Um, so it's, it's, it's very prevalent in, in the workplace. And I think that somebody, um, you know, I, when I've spoken to people, see in the UK and certainly I think where you are, Sarah, and, and in the US, there are regulations. People are not allowed to discriminate. Employers are not allowed to discriminate against people with mental health, but they do. I mean, it does occur. Um, and it's, and, and it's, it's, it's very worrying. And so in schools, there is a set protocol here now. School, school children um, and teenagers up until they leave school are entitled to 25 to 30% more time to finish assignments and for examinations. Mm. And there are certain other things that they, that they're entitled to at school. And most of them adhere to that. Now they didn't used to, they do. Now that kind of attitude I think would be useful in the workplace because people with OCD are very, very employable. I mean, I get that there are some occupations, like for instance, I think certainly in the UK, you can't join the army, the military with OCD. And I kind of get that slightly because even though that sounds discriminating, it's such a dangerous situation. And if your OCD means you hesitate, I think it's more likely to be dangerous to you than it is you know, to other people. And, and of course, it could be dangerous to your colleagues. So I kind of get that. I, I understand that. And maybe in air traffic control, you know, I've, I've really only had one air traffic controller client, but I can see why that would be a problem. But in most other areas where you wouldn't be in any danger, um, if you have OCD, I think you should be allowed to work. And there should be government regulations which stipulate you're entitled to certain support, you're entitled to certain perhaps therapy and treatment and time off for that. 
and um, you're in, and I've been working with the police force actually um, recently with a couple of clients, and their uh, their managers have done a session with me to understand OCD. Huh. They've then allowed them time off for their support group that they do with us, and they've allowed them a certain amount of time off to do treatment. And I think that that is the way that it needs to be. Yes, I was going to ask you, you know, like, what do we do as an organization or as employers to have the conversation to support them as much as possible? And you just said it right there. I mean, the fact that, you know, they're doing training to better understand it, to better um, see it as well, because if somebody can't articulate it, it's up to, you know, maybe management to be able to see what might be happening, especially in the, in the police force for sure. Um, but then also allowing that time and putting together a support group so that they don't feel alone. I mean, we spoke about this, you know, a few minutes ago about how lonely it is. And I think that that's a really, really important distinction that we need to have support groups and we need to have people who understand and, and empathize. So what would be your advice to somebody who wants to talk about it maybe? Um, and then for an employer or a human resource person, because sometimes it always comes down to human resources, you know, um, on both sides of the coin, do you have some advice for either one of them for that kind of discussion and, you know, bringing it to the forefront? India? Is that me or Miguel? India, yeah, for you. Yeah. Um, I, I think they need to get educated. I, I, I think that there need to be... Um, I mean, we've we've written a presentation that we give to um, corporations, but I think there needs to be a global rollout of um, uh, or a national rollout um, of of education to HR and to the management board about about OCD. Of course, it should be about mental. This is a conversation about mental health as well. Yes. Um, and then we need to supply those people with. Um, texts which are uh, and and information which is written down or online or, or an app or whatever it needs to be which which um informs them about number one what it is number two what those people need to do um number three how they can best support them and start that conversation by getting involved in you know i have seen definitely an increase in, in corporate wellness programs and i think ocd should be part of that and i do when i speak to people who who run wellness programs they're like oh it's a bit left of center though it's a bit niche ocd isn't it because it's only really a small and then we'd have to do that for all disorders i'm like no no it's, it's actually really widespread ocd and and to be honest it wouldn't take much to cover you know the the main disorders would it to do something for depression ocd you know addictions and to 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 inform human human resources in that way it could be done very easily and maybe a couple of workshops a few online seminars um just to yes just to get that conversation going and to kind of drive that forward but of course it it's it's probably led from the top down right not the bottom up yeah and you know like it's not just about acceptance it's not just about saying, you know, we accept you as you are, you have to arm management and the right people with the right information to be able to have that empathy and to be able to create safe spaces for people to open up and have these conversations. You know, it's up to the organization to provide that training and be like, hey, we're going to stand behind this and this is, you know, these are the things that we want to be able to talk to our people about and to be able to support them in. And so it comes with a level of training that somebody needs to stand up and champion and say, hey, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to send you on training on these different things this many times a year so that we can be on top of this. Miguel, what, um, what do you think? How do you think um, workplaces or companies or businesses can help support somebody with OCD either in the workplace? Do we need policies and procedures or even just nurture a healthy culture? What do you think? Mm. I think in the support in the work, I will think that in a way or at least I say it from my personal experience since people do not know much about it. That's, that's the principal problem. The people don't know 
about OCD. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very true, but it's not, yeah, you know, it's about the awareness, but it's also about the training like we talked about, right? Because you can be aware of OCD and understand that somebody has it, but then you don't know anything about it and you don't have to, you don't know how to have that conversation, which is even more important. And sometimes that conversation takes training and sometimes that conversation is just creating a safe space so that somebody can share authentically. Yeah. It's so true. So true. But you know, the thing is, Sarah and Miguel is that you know OCD I hate to use this word but you know it's not very sexy for managers and I I hate to use that word and that's absolutely and it shouldn't be like that so so what I think is to you know because if they're worried about the bottom line I think to present um, OCD awareness and support in a way that, that that speaks to them so to say look this is the amount of money you're losing on an annual basis um, oh. for work hours lost and for a loss of performance in those people with OCD. Your bottom line could change this much. And I think if it mirrored the kind of increase in sports of mental training. So, you know, in sports, there was an example, wasn't there, with the Seattle Seahawks went from sort of zero to hero with mindfulness training with that with um Dr. Michael Gervais. And what he did was he used mindfulness with the Seattle Seahawks and they ended up in the Super Bowl. Didn't win, but, you know, my God, it was amazing. And so now sports is seeing, you know, mental mental training as very sexy and very appropriate, which, of course, it's probably always been because, you know, anyway, one of my whole passions. But the point is, is if we could say to corporations, right, listen, if you don't think this is valid, it is because number one, you're losing this amount of, of, of your bottom line. Number two, it could be increased this amount by you spending time on mental health and and this and you know having a workplace where the people feel included and they feel understood and they feel supported. Surely that's got to speak to managers. Yeah. Yeah, well, and high performance, right? I mean, you're gonna you're gonna hit them where it counts at the bottom line, but then you're also gonna talk about having people, you know, really working at their peak. And that means that it's not just professionally, you have to take care of the person for them to be able to uh, do their very best for whatever that means for them um, and meeting people where they are. So you mentioned the OCD in the workplace. Um, do you, can you give me the uh, link to that so that we can share that with the um, audience, India? I, I think we can. Yes. I think Perfect. I'll make sure that it's up that you can. Yeah, for sure. Okay, good. So we will include that in the show notes just for everybody who's listening. And if you want to go and check that out. So how does this all tie into two wider issues? Well, number one, better supporting mental health and well-being for everyone, which is a hugely important subject right now and that many brands to greater and lesser extents are working on. Number two, the is the issue of diversity and inclusion, right? Appreciating that everybody is different and may well have different sets of needs, and that is okay. You know, different perspectives are a positive. And new approaches to hiring, not filtering out certain kinds of people at an application stage, removing unnecessarily invasive questions, looking at a person's creativity, dynamic, and individual individuality, not just qualifications or achievements on a page. And so there's so much to think about there. So let's wrap up. Can you each give me one takeaway or sum up from today's discussion? Miguel, I'll start with you. Can you repeat me the question, Sarah? Yeah. So what would you like somebody from the audience to walk away from this discussion to think about or maybe put into action? Mm, Feel empathy. Don't judge uh, quickly because you don't know if the person has some disorder or some problem. Maybe this, this personality is a thing that that person have a seriously fight all all his life so have have empathy and learn more learn more about um healthy healthy mind mm-hmm. absolutely very very well put miguel thank you for that and india what would you like somebody to walk away from this discussion with to think about or maybe put into action I think I'd like to say to people that OCD is not an adjective. Uh, it is it is a serious, intractable 
incurable lifetime condition, which can be very dark and very disabling for the people involved. So just getting informed about that would, would be the difference. It would make a huge difference if just one person you know, went away from this, this, you know, our podcast and said, right, I'm going to learn a little bit about OCD. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much to India and Miguel for joining me today. Your honesty has been eye-opening and it's so appreciated. I mean, the issue of mental health is still a difficult one. Although we're talking more about it, it's still lagging behind. So when you're when you're still considered brave for talking about a condition that's as common as diabetes, there's your proof that more needs to be done. So I really hope this episode can help do that. We want to open up conversations, stand in solidarity and and truly contribute to help driving change. Don't forget that you can reach out to me or any of the guests on social media if you have any questions or want to talk more about anything we've covered today. India, where can they find your work? I'm I'm on Instagram. Uh, I'm OCD Excellence on Instagram, um, on TikTok and on Facebook. And uh, yeah, and also my website is www.ocdexcellence.com. And Miguel, if somebody wants to reach out to you, how can they find you? In Instagram, it's Miguel Majorga with two A's at the end and TikTok is the same. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thanks again to our sponsors, Apex Logistics. We couldn't do it without you. And don't forget to join us next time for episode 17 of Blended when we'll be diving into more thought-provoking issues around diversity, inclusion, and equality. You don't want to miss it, and I'll see you then. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah.